their own reward system starts to pay them for doing instead of thinking. And then their behavior just tracks the doing instead of the thinking habitually. That takes time, but that's, that's typically what it is. It's, it's Pavlovian, right? So it's you do, you pursue, you get a result, reward or punishment, and then you do again. Welcome back to the show. Today, my guest is Larry Geyer. Like many coaches, Larry started out in the commercial gym space. After three years as a commercial gym personal trainer, Larry left that role because of the confines of the business and more importantly, the challenges many trainers face in trying to make a real living without succumbing to constant burnout from spending ridiculous hours on the floor with clients. Focused on becoming the most valuable person his clients could find, he left and built $120,000 a year PT business in a hole-in-the-wall public rec center. After careful consideration, Larry left this business to go all-in at Active Life so he could leverage the skills he learned to help professionals all over the world create the same freedom of purpose, money, and relationships that he was able to create for himself. Larry is someone who is very intentional in the way that he listens to people and his clients. And he pays careful attention to his language, tone, messaging, and timing when it comes to working with his clients. The soft skills that Larry has acquired are a large part of what makes him such a great coach. Larry and I talk about the lessons that he has picked up through his time at the commercial gym as a business owner and now working for Active Life. We get into how to build trusting relationships with clients, the best ways to deal with setbacks, and how to get clients to believe in their ability to accomplish big goals. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I know you will too. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Real quick before we dive into the episode, you probably heard about this podcast directly from someone else or saw it shared on social media. We can only grow, spread our message further, and keep bringing in awesome and amazing guests with your help. If you could take five seconds and hop on whatever podcast platform you're using and leave us a review, it would mean the world to us. On to the show. Larry Geyer, welcome to the show. I'm excited to be here, man. Yeah, I was just saying that you have a beautiful background. Uh, I have to get on some of my guests because they show up in a dark room, and I'm like, "Can we put a light on?" And you, you're ready to rock and roll. Yeah. Well, I talked to uh, I talked to Sean, the that I work with, CEO of Active Life, and I was like, "How do I not shit the bed <laughs> from just a basic standpoint on, on, on Derek's podcast?" And he gave me a nine bullet point set of instructions. So, and wow, you've you've checked off the first one. Yeah. Way, way to go, man. Way to start. Well, hey, um, I think you and I have some some areas of commonality in, in how we got started into the fitness industry. And one of those being that we both started in more of a commercial gym mm. setting. Can you speak a little bit about those experiences for you um, prior to getting started with Active Life? Yeah, for sure, man. Well, I was, you know, I, I graduated with a degree in anthropology because it required the fewest number of credits to graduate. And I was qualified to tell people where the Museum of Natural History bathroom was. And I was like, okay, this is not where I'm going with life. Uh, Hurricane Sandy hit New York. I had no house anymore. And I was working three part-time jobs that I liked but didn't care about. So I spent 10 days helping my mom clean out the house where we both lived, help some neighbors, quit the three jobs and bought a one-way ticket out of the country. After a year in a bunch of different countries and a bunch of different tasks and roles that I know you probably want to unpack later, which we can, I came back and I had $200 left in my bank account, so I needed to do something. I ended up using a guest pass to get a free workout in at the commercial gym that opened in the wake of the hurricane that I couldn't afford to go to for $60 a month. My friend got me in. I squeezed every drop out of that three-hour workout, got my ID back on the way out, and when the membership consultant tried to sell me on a membership, I asked her for a job. A week later, I was teaching kids how to swim in waist-deep cold water for $9 an hour, and I got free membership, which was great. Three months in, 
the fitness manager noticed that more members were asking me for help than they were asking the floor personal trainers at the time. And so he asked me if I ever thought about doing it. To make a long story short, a few months later, I got the, the certification that I needed to legally do it. And, and I was personal training in a commercial gym, which was a trip. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, in comparison to the clients that you see now, both in terms of their behavior um, and the, just the atmosphere that you're in, I'm sure it's like night and day. Yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah, just is a one-word answer, yes. Mm -hmm. No, um, I, I totally get it. And, and I had a similar experience both coming from the university where we would work with some of the, the staff as well as working inside of more of a commercial commercialized-based gym um, and then transitioning into more of a, the CrossFit side. It was, it was a very eye-opening experience, hmm. without were, a doubt. Well, what were some of the biggest changes that you saw? Um, personally, I think the one-on-one the -on -one nature um, and the, the education level of the clients. So I found that in the commercial gym, it was just just this complete and total circus free for all. And uh, whereas when you would get inside of a more of a CrossFit based model, um, it was that the clients had this willingness and this, this yearning to want to educate themselves on basic bodily maintenance, mm. how to move properly. Uh, they, they just trusted coaches more. And, and there was this like appreciation for authority in the, inside of the, the facility. And I think that that spoke volumes to me, um, and made me even want to be a coach that much more. Um, so yeah, was, so you had a, you had, it sounded like you had a, a more motivated client to oh, uh, not only, not only for the results that you were promising, but to understand the whole thing that you wanted to give them more deeply. So they were the kind of person that would be more likely to have what you were trying to give them in the first place. For sure. And I think a big part of that was the fact that they got to see people that were like them doing things that they mm -hmm. never thought they would be able to do. Right. So before, if you go into a gym and you see someone doing a lap pull down, it's like, yeah, big whoop de doo. Um, not that I have anything, anything against that movement, but it's, it's, there's not a whole lot of glamour. Right. Whereas when you see a 40 year old mom kicking up into handstands and, you know, practicing being inverted, you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. It, like, as we say in the industry, that hits different. Right. Than, uh, then a pull down. I don't <laughs> want anyone does. to think that I was serious about saying that that's an industry <laughs> term. I don't think I mind it as a joke. Sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> you're good. So at what point did you transition from the working inside of this commercial gym to wanting to start your own business? I think I was there for two or three years when I started to, when I got to better on better, better know and understand the, the CEO of active life. Now we lived in the same town. We had crossed paths in a coffee shop a bunch of times. And he really helped me understand that what I was getting after anyway, just because I was interested in it and my intuition was leading me there, that it was not only possible, but it was already happening. And that there was something bigger and better than being a personal trainer in a commercial gym for the rest of my life. Now, to be perfectly clear, the, it was the richest breeding ground for my learning that I think I could have had at the time. Being in a commercial gym with 5,000 people all of the equipment that I needed and people that were ready to start talking and learning with, with all of the reading and researching I was doing a commercial gym was the best place I could have started. I broke a lot of eggs. I learned a lot of things and I am, I wouldn't be half the person that I am today if I did not start there. So I'm grateful that I did to people that are working there now and listening to this. I don't want this to just be a beat down session of, working in, in a commercial gym as a personal trainer, incredibly, incredibly rich learning experience. The shift happened when I realized that I was hamstrung by the corporate structures that prevented me from making it easier for me to give more to my clients and earn more in return in hours that avoided burnout. In other words, I was working between 30 and 35 floor hours per week, which just so you know what I strongly recommend now to the hundreds of coaches, clinicians, gym owners that have come my way and gone through our education. I cap floor hours at 25. If anyone is asking what's a good number of floor hours, 25 is a hard cap. Because if you are going to do the kind of job that I would expect someone in this field to do, everyone here knows, you know, that it takes more than 60 minutes to give a 60 minute session. It takes more than 60 minutes worth of energy to give a 60 minute session. 
it takes time and energy before, after, in between all of the places. So when I was at 32 hours on the floor, I was at 45, 50 hours total between education, communication, support around sessions, traveling to work. I was still skateboarding to work, even in the winter for the most part. So that took some extra time. And I couldn't, I couldn't afford to take my girlfriend out to dinner. I was living in New York with my mom at the time, making $3,300, $3,400 a month. Not great where I lived. I was helping my mom pay rent. I couldn't do a lot of things. So the shift happened when I realized no matter how hard I tried with all of my creativity, there was no way that this gym was going to let me break the rigidity of these are the two products you can sell. This is what they will cost. This is what you will make from it. I had clients who didn't need my handholding anymore. They didn't need to see me three times a week anymore. I decided that. They agreed. But what was I going to do? Send them back into the, like you said, the circus of the gym floor for them to figure it out by themselves in between the one session we had a week? It's, it's, it doesn't work, man. So I knew that if they followed my, my guidance, they would continue to make progress at a faster rate than when I was just seeing them three times a week because now I can write them four workouts a week because I trust their competence and their confidence, and so do they. How would we do this? Well, I could write their program, but I don't want to do it for free. So, hey, gym, uh, commercial gym, corporate higher-up, or whoever you are, what if they paid $300 a month, $400 a month in a four-pack every month or whatever it is for me to write their program that they execute on their own? It gets processed in the system this way. I get the money for that. I do it in a fifth of the time. Everyone wins. Member gets more. Coach gets more. Jim gets more. No, not going to happen. So I knew I had to leave. I was making 38 cents on the dollar. And once I realized that my clients, my clients were there for what I was giving them, they weren't there for the gym. They weren't there for the community. They weren't there for the equipment. They weren't there for the space or the lighting or the sweatshirts or the smoothies. They were there for what I was doing for them. The crazy idea came to mind that I think wherever I go, they would follow. And I took that bet. I did the math on how many of my clients I would need to come with me. And the answer was I needed 60% of my clients to say yes in order for me to break even. I had the conversation with all of them about exactly what they would need, exactly what it would cost, where we were going to do this. They were going to pay me more. They were going to see me less. And we were going to do it in a hole-in-the-wall, leaky, rusty public rec center. 100% of them said yes without blinking. Where you go, I go. I actually fired 30 40% of them because I realized I didn't want to help them and they didn't need me as much as the others did. I lost $2,000. The gym lost $14,000 worth of income the next two months. And I want to circle back to that for gym owners hearing that saying that sucks. I want to make sure I speak to that. I lost $2,000 for the next two months because they had just purchased packages that I was going to service and the gym wasn't going to refund. So I ate $2,000 a month for the next two and a half months. The third month, I made close to double what I was earning in a little over half the time. A couple months after that, I was tracking $120,000 personal training business in 20, 22 hours a week total. So that was a big shift, man. I, I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, and one of the things you mentioned there was that you didn't want to speak down to your experiences at this commercial gym. And I think what's worth noting is just how many reps you put in in getting all those those hours in. So even though you can now, you know, retrospectively look back and say it wasn't worth my time per energy unit to be spending that amount of time on the floor because it is inevitably going to lead to burnout to me and is not going to lead to further production or progress with the clients, you can look back and go, yeah, but look how many reps I was able to put in with these clients and time under tension. And I, I think that that can't be, you know, spoken highly enough. I enough couldn't of. agree I couldn't agree more with you, man. Um there are a couple other points I want to make about that gym. For any gym owner here who's listening saying, well, that would suck for me to have a coach leave with all that business. I want, I want to make sure it's crystal clear that I did not want to leave. I banged my head against the wall for eight months before I decided 
it's not that I want to leave. I must leave because I'm in a position where I'm either going to go, quote, get a real job or I'm going to figure out how to make this ridiculous, crazy idea of coaching work. And the truth is it wasn't a choice for me. I knew what I needed to do. So I just needed to figure out how I was going to do it. I loved that gym. It's where my career was born. I would say I knew 3,800 of the 5,000 people by name. I knew dogs' names, families' names, where they were going for vacation. Some of the most important relationships I've ever had have come from that gym. I didn't want to go. I tried my ass off to stay. It was a, it was a must. It wasn't a want. Yeah, and unfortunately, that was par for the course around that time. I'm assuming this was like 2000 and. 10 to 2015, somewhere in there? It was a little later. It was 2018, January 1st, 2018. Yeah. So even then, the commercial space still is in a position like if you were to go and try to get a personal training job at more of a Globo style gym nowadays, it is going to very much be constricted to the offerings that they have and an hourly rate, and then Mm -hmm. it doesn't budge. Um, So, you know, it puts people like myself as a gym owner in a position where we go, okay, well, how do we create a model that is a very high value for the client, but can also provide opportunities for coaches to make a real living doing this. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you a quick story. When I first got into this as, as part of being a gym owner, one of the things that would drive me absolutely nuts is I, people would say to me, are you still doing the gym thing? And it was just implicit right in that, that they believed it wasn't real, that they believed it wasn't an actual career. And I was the owner. So and this was back in, we'll say like 2011 through 2015 or so. And then I think beyond that, people started to get the scope of things and understand like, okay, no, this is, this is sticking around for the long haul. But I think it speaks to how people viewed gyms, especially one-off gyms where they weren't these large conglomerate Mm. commercial based gyms. They viewed it as a hobby. Mm. And we're now finally getting into the point where you can create real careers, not just for yourself, but for all of your employees if you set it up correctly. And we'll dive into that more later. I'm no, sure. full agreement. And the truth is it, it, it's much less about, it's much less about the kind of gym or the size of the gym as to your point, what's the model that you're putting in place? So for example, uh, we currently mentor a gold gym in Newburgh, New York, that has tens of thousands of members, I believe. And there are career coaches there because th- things like you said are structured in a way that Client gets more, coach gets more, gym owner gets more. They're the, they're the number one. We've been working with them for two years. They're the number one gold's gym in the world. And the funny part about that is they're literally almost the polar opposite of what active life is from a model perspective. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But it doesn't, it, but I guess the key there is that the principles can still apply, especially in a vacuum or in bubbles uh, within that business. I mean, with 10,000 clients, they're not all doing the same thing. Like you can have pods or sectors that can focus on different people in different niches. For sure. Look, the the truth is two things need to be true. Values need to align and systems need to work. And if the owner of this gold gym, who's a a great person and a great business owner, if the, the owner of this gym decided my values now, are such that I want 100% of the members in this place to get this, they would change the model of their gym. The values are such that I want some, those who are interested to get this. Yep. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, now, what transitioned you from running your own business, right? Obviously getting to a place of success with it to wanting to onboard with active life. It was really simple for me, man. I was in a position where I was full. I was, I had a waiting list. I was turning people away every week. And the biggest frustration is that there wasn't anywhere, there wasn't anyone else near me that I trusted to regularly send all the people that were coming to me with the problems they were coming to me. So one thing that I am incredibly grateful for uh, about Dr. Sean, the, the, the founder and the CEO of Active Life is throughout our working relationship and our personal relationship, he has always created a space for me to explore what is most interesting and inspiring for me to explore, irrespective of how it impacts the company. If ever what I'm doing is in competition with the company, he would be the first to tell me, here's how you should go about doing it. 
And then, and then we would both decide it's not a good idea for me to be there anymore. Once I realized that, oh man, I need to put together some sort of little mentorship where I could recreate myself, where I can help a budding personal trainer do what I want to do, mostly so that I know that there's someone trustworthy I can send these people to. A client gets a win, a coach gets a win, they can create a career and I can have peace of mind that there aren't 15 people that are continuing with the problem they've been continuing with just because I don't have the time in the space to help them. I brought this to, to Dr. Sean and some other people on staff and it wasn't long into the conversation where I realized the number one fastest, most effective way for me to scale myself is by leaning more into working with active life and less on me having my own personal training business. And it was really hard for me because for a long time, personal training was something that out of bed, tired and hungover. I don't drink, by the way. I'm just using it to, for effect here. I would, ro <laughs> I would roll out of bed and I would conduct a one-on-one -on -one session on international television live with zero preparation for anyone. That's, it's, it's rare. It's, it's, there aren't many things that I feel that way about. And for a long time, I felt that way about personal training. I still do. But at that point, it was something very hard for me to let go of largely because it was the only thing that I, that I felt like I could be world-class at at the time. And so to me, the greatest value I could perceive giving was continuing to personal train. And then I realized, well, what do I really want? It's not, it's not recognition for personal training. It's for everyone to be better. And the best way to do that was to join a company that would allow me to scale. And, and it wasn't much longer before I gave up 97% of the time that I was dedicating towards my own business and put it into active life. Yeah, I think every business owner and coach at some point has that epiphany moment where they realize that if they ever, if their true goal is to help as many people as they possibly mm -hmm. can to the degree that they want to help them, they have to be able to onboard their systems and ways of thinking and, and frameworks into other people. And that's a whole mm -hmm. different animal, right? I think it's going from coaching clients to coaching coaches is not a super smooth transition. <laughs> No. And I'm sure that you had the moment where you, as a gym owner, you, and you were probably, I imagine there was a point in your career as a gym owner where you were both gym owning and coaching. Uh, the whole, I mean, yeah, the, pretty much the first seven, eight years. And I imagine there was a point where, um, I could be wrong about this, but I imagine there might've been a point where you needed to decide, oh, I need to let go of coaching in a way that might have that might've created some resistance in order for you to decide there are other people that need to replace me and it's okay if they become better than me at this thing that I want them to be great at. Yeah, and I think that's the key point there. It's it's not just I have to be okay with other people coaching, it's I have to be okay with not being the best. Mm -hmm. And I think that was so hard for me to let go because I put my heart into the artistry of it mm. for so long. And then to, to watch other people you know, blossom and find their areas of particular expertise and then exceed me was hard because it meant that much of it was due to the fact that I was having to put more time on the business side and less on the floor. Hmm. And then that obviously has kickback from certain clients because people are like, where are you now? You know what I mean? So it's, you have this tug of war going on. Mm -hmm. So yes, it was hard. Um, and it was probably a multi-year transition. Uh, but it's one that I'm so incredibly grateful for um, that that has has taken place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yep. been it's been a totally worthwhile trade. Oh, one one thousand times over, uh, and I'm sure th the same goes for you. Mm -hmm. um, now, I do want to talk a little bit about your travel because I I'm somebody that loves traveling myself, and I find that it just helps expand your empathy centers and helps you connect with people on a deeper level. Um, just getting this exposure to different cultures. You traveled through nine countries in 11 months, correct? That's correct. How was that experience and uh, which countries did you visit? Oh, man, hell of a question. How was it? Um, I grew 10 years in that year, right? It, it, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, socially, insane accelerant. And not, not in an undue, premature way, like accelerated ripening. Um, it was just fertilizer for a lot of the things you described. I loved the way that you described that it deepens your empathy centers. That's probably one of the primary things that it's done. And I do consider, I do consider empathy a superpower when you, when you can wield it effectively and you have a deep sense of it. In order, forgive me if I'm missing one or two, 
It was Israel, Thailand, uh, Cambodia, and then to Europe, uh, Belgium, France, Austria, Norway. I might be missing one or two, but a bit of popping around. Yeah, a bit, a bit of hopping around. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, in in hindsight, you know, do you feel like you were you were truly present during that entire trip? Was it easier to kind of just take it all in as it came? That's a good question, man. And and I think the strong answer is is no. I struggled a lot that trip. I had I had a there was a lot of pain and a lot of confusion that I was working through on that trip. And to be clear, there was a ton of adventure, joy, discovery, revelation, uh, growth, magic. But it was all this big cocktail of a lot of those things being figured out. Uh, I was homesick plenty. I was coming off the heels of a breakup that hurt really bad. Um, there was There was very little understanding of who I was and where I was going. And that trip helped a lot, largely because I think I started to understand myself and human beings much more completely and all the way through deeply, broadly than I ever would have been able to without doing all of that. Right? I was, I was a stranger and I experienced 11 months of novelty in, in seven, eight different languages. So there's a lot of learning there. Yeah. Now you picked up a few languages along the way, correct? There were a few that I had started teaching myself before I left, and most of the ones that I heard along the way were just, this is what I'm learning to be effective here. Um, but yeah, I certainly deepened the ones that I was interested in. Now, speaking of connection and, and empathy, mm -hmm. in speaking with Sean Pastouche about you, he said that one of your greatest gifts is your ability to listen in, intently with clients. And mm -hmm. while this is something like it's, it's an obvious skill that everyone wants, but it's clearly one that not everyone possesses. What do you think has allowed you to kind of sharpen this skill? You're talking about listening? Listening, yep. You know, sharpening sharpening the skill has just come from learning learning techniques to 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 listen better maybe, but the truth of the matter is I don't I don't want to just give a tactical answer because at the core of why I believe I listen the way I do, is the fact that I am insatiably curious and I care about people intensely, intensely. I, it's not something that I, it's not something that I want to go away. It's not something that I have figured out how to effectively use or even understand, but I, I care about and believe in people so intensely that I found they're forced to believe in themselves. It's, it's something that I said once that I realized I do when they, a local commercial gym that we mentored actually put it on the bottom, on the back of their shirt for the definition of a coach. And that's, that's really at the center of it, I believe. I'm, I'm genuinely curious and interested. Well, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a great launching point, right? Because if, if you're in, if you're in it for those reasons, everything else kind of comes with it. Yeah, man. It's, it's like, okay, that, if that's the decision, you don't have to, you don't have to figure there's nothing else to figure out if you're if your focus and your intention is there's nowhere else i'd rather be there's no one else i'd rather be talking to i don't exist right now how deeply and completely can i listen to hear see feel and smell and understand the person sitting in front of me you're the rest of it's going to be automatic now if let's get in Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I want to get into some of the details with some clients because I feel like some real life examples would, would help paint this picture really well. So, mm -hmm. you know, are what are some examples of times that you've worked with clients where listening became paramount because of maybe their backstory or the problems that they were facing? Well, I, I think it would, I think it's fair to say that listening is always paramount with a client. That's certainly, that's certainly been my policy anyway. There isn't ever a time where I decide that I'm not listening to a client or I'm going to disregard it. There might be a time where what they're, what they're saying is either a distraction or they're unfocused or they're, they're off the path or they're wandering, but that's important information to me. And it's something that I'm definitely listening to. I'm certainly keeping my eye back on the peak while I'm helping them struggle over the pebbles that we're stumbling on on the path right now or wandering off the path, but, but I'm always listening because it's always information. Um, a good example, a good example is I had a client named Clarissa that I 
gave over to a colleague of mine only a few months ago because she and her husband were moving to Colorado. And three months into our relationship, I started to hear that consistently the number one thing that was holding her back was the intensity and the volume of stress that she was experiencing from work. It's very, very easy to say, okay, well, let's just start moving and you'll feel better, which is true, by the way, you and I both know that it's very, very easy to say, well, just hear them until they're done venting about it and then get on with the program. Many people might find contention with the fact that my decision was to ask her question after question after question until she decided that she needed to quit her job. And she did. And she attributes 100% of the reason that she felt capable and confident of quitting her job to the work that we did together. It wasn't two months later that she was in her dream job. So yeah. that's that to me is a huge difference. Um, yeah, 1000%. I mean, I think that the stress component is arguably one of the hardest to navigate as a coach hmm. because it often involves things like insecurities, uh, jobs that people hate and feel stuck in, uh, family matters that people have been dealing with for, for years, if not decades. And there's, you're trying to work through a mess that you weren't part of the origins and that is hard for you to truly understand because you now you're getting into the depths of somebody else's, uh, you know, web of a life. And it's very difficult when you know that the, the reason for mon much of the suffering, especially the unnecessary suffering of your client and their lack of adherence and trouble sticking to a program comes from the fact of, of due to all these external factors, that's really, really hard work to, to, to get through. But as, as you mentioned, it is so incredibly rewarding for us as coaches, but also for the clients when we can do that deep work. You're, you're making my, my head spin with how much energy I have for what you're describing right now. One of the things that I think made it very, very easy for me to do this consistently is I've done a bunch of hard things. I've done, I go there, right? So there, there are things that we're all afraid of. There are things that we're afraid of externally, like you described. There are things that we're afraid of internally. I don't hide from any of it. I've gone there every single time, all the time with myself. Maybe I'll give myself a break, but depth, depth of understanding is something that has allowed me to say, okay, this is a disgusting, greasy hole and I'm going to be okay. And in trusting that I will be okay, it makes it easy for me to remain calm and grounded for other people when they're struggling with adversity. So the fact that I can remain emotionally grounded and calm for someone who's dealing with that, I believe has made me attractive to the people who have been struggling with the deep things and made me feel very safe for them to be able to reveal them. And I think that one of the things that many, many coaches might struggle with, even if they intend to want to be able to help someone, by the way, when I say coach, I mean business owner, gym owner who leads a team too, because you're coaching, you, you know this better than anyone. If you don't feel safe and collected and capable of sitting with someone through their most uncomfortable moments, not only will they feel unsafe with you. Not only will they feel that they should not trust you, but I don't understand why they would. Why would you trust someone that might be volatile to fear that you're experiencing? That's the last thing that you want. So one thing that I constantly encourage myself and other people to do, if you want to be able to more effectively lead people is make sure that you are always leading yourself through the scariest, most painful aspects of your internal world. And the more of those that you can face and reconcile and walk away from, cry or no cry, the more easily you'll be able to lead other people through their own discomfort. And that's, that's the kind of thing that makes my clients say that I'm cheap at 150 to $185 a session that might last 40 minutes and make an, a seven, eight year client, which is currently my shortest, shortest coaching relationship is with a seven year client. So with respect to what you were describing with your external world, it's making sure that you can, you are consistently and confidently navigating both your external and your internal world. So you have the software to be able to help other people download and upgrade their own software. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's solid advice because it, ultimately what helps clients the most in these situations when you do get into the depths with them is, is reframing. But in order for them to trust your reframing mm. and your perspective, like you have to have established a really, really high quality relationship with them. And much of it comes by the way of being vulnerable yourself. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent agree. I, I think that, you know, the, the words trust and vulnerability are key there. I'm, I'm with you. Cool. Um, now one, term that gets thrown around a lot nowadays, and I would say it's, it's probably relatively new, is, is mental masturbation. And this kid falls onto the side of things. This falls on the side of things where we start now talking about creating action plans for clients mm. and helping them get through. And, and I would define mental masturbation as going through the motions in your head over and over again without ever actually doing anything. I think great examples of this are like people that you know, read books endlessly, but aren't actually applying any of the information. Right? Perfect example. Yeah. Perfect. So uh, when it comes to clients, it's like now, once we flip this switch, not that we turn the vulnerability and the learning experiences off, uh, but that now we're starting to work in more uh, in the direction of like progress, adherence, developing an action-based plan. How do you get clients to stop that, you know, quote unquote, mental masturbation where they're just going through the motions? Mm -hmm. I don't know that I get them to stop that as much as I do focus them on the thing to do. And then over time, their own reward system starts to pay them for doing instead of thinking. And then their behavior just tracks the doing instead of the thinking habitually. That takes time, but that's that's typically what it is. It's, it's Pavlovian, right? So it's you do, you pursue, you get a result, reward or punishment. And then you do again. And the, the, the purpose of the coach in that place is to catch them on the other side of the execution and walk them through how'd this go? Why'd this happen this way? What are your thoughts about this? Like my, my goal is to get people as autonomous as possible. I, I want to get to the point where I'm just a guide and they're doing as much as they can on their own and, and they get to the point where they want they see me as a consultant. Um now, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna ask like how much of that do you think uh, falls? What was I going to ask? Falls under the umbrella of lost my thought for a second. That's okay. So, is part as part of like getting people back into this action plan? How much of it do you think falls under the need to to measure the right things? Can you ask me that a little bit differently? Because I think I understand what you're saying, but I'm not sure. So, what I'm getting at here is that. In order to be able to demonstrate progress to somebody, you have to have you have to be measuring something, right? Mm -hmm. Objectively or subjectively speaking. Mm. Sure. And I think one of the problems that we face is that people sense failure because they're measuring the wrong thing ah, sometimes. Nice. Um, so, how much of that do you think plays a role in this? A huge. I think that's a really good question, and and I see it as my job to ask the client, "What would you consider?" a measure of progress. And my job is then to just take whatever expertise I have and let them chase ideal, let us chase ideal together and then ground it in reality, physical reality, right? The, the only, the only limit here is physical reality. So anything that they can think of that needs to happen in physical reality with all the adaptations required is this is what I believe that we could reasonably achieve. What are the metrics that would allow you to determine this is working? What would you like to see happen? How would you tell yourself, oh, this is working? This is what I believe is going to be a reasonable amount of time for you to see that. Does that check out for you? Does that sound like too much? Does it sound like too little? Does that sound just right? Too much? Well, let's discuss that. Why? Too little. That's great news. So it's helping them really decide what success is for them. Is it, is it how you look? Is it how you feel? Is it how you notice yourself talking to yourself? Is it that you've noticed you've, you've stopped using certain language to describe yourself? What are the metrics? Subjectively, it's, hey, I just want to share. Your eyes look way less tired on average when you walk in here. I don't know what that means to you. That's huge to me. Hey, I don't know if you've noticed this or anyone else has noticed this. I've noticed that you've been smiling way more during sessions than you were a few months ago. How are you sleeping? What time are you noticing that you're waking up? There are a million. But once we agree on what a measure of progress is, well, it's it's up to you to decide how you want to break up the units and measure it, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And just to, to rewind the tape a little bit, um, when we talked about the, the reframing for the client, I think this is where some of the gap in the gain language comes in, mm-hmm. where you can talk about, hey, we created these measurements. And while they're not this, you know, this star that's light years away that you would eventually like to reach, look where you were and where you are now. And I think being able to, to shine the flashlight on that time and time again, when it, the, the timing is right, really helps propel the client and, and start being able to see further out in front of them. You know what I mean? And to think in the very beginning, and this is true for people that are going through depression, they can't see very much into the future. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think the same is true for clients that are just starting out and have built up a lot of self-resentment and disbelief in themselves. Many of their goals, they have these like very arbitrary goals that they throw out far into the future, but they don't actually believe that they're the type of person that can attain them. Mm. And then when you get them fixated on the goals directly in front of them, you start to see the fear kind of come in. And I think by creating repetition and little wins over time, it helps build the momentum to where they not only set goals far out into the future, they have a better handle on whether or not they actually want them Mm. and their belief for the fact that they can go get them is that much higher. Yeah, nice. So for you, it sounds like you're describing the, the what we have to do, no matter how big it is, is cast a vision for what a win would be. Even if that vision is two centimeters in front of where they are right now, create some little vacuum of space that they actually believe they can fill. Let them do it. Praise the hell out of it. And then they're probably likely for a slightly bigger one. And we go on and so forth. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, and we talked about this at the kind of the ground level, right, of like creating an action plan for clients now. But one thing that you mentioned in your notes that I went over was about helping clients to create goals that they thought were rather undiscoverable or impossible for them, right? So these kind of larger scale goals that somebody maybe had previously never even considered was a possibility for themselves. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to kind of the importance of putting clients in a position to expect more of themselves? Yes. The client that comes to mind, uh, his name is Mike Geller. Brief background on Mike Geller. He was a fire lieutenant. He was in a motorcycle accident. It would be easier for me to list the things that he did not break than the things that he did. He was paralyzed for a month and a half, hospital, half blind, finger torn off his hand, five vertebrae fused, could not walk, terrible neuropathies, bad. The doctor told his wife he'll probably never walk again. Uh, After he got onto his feet and could hobble around, the doctor told him, you're going to use these little arm crutches here. I want you to think about physical therapy told him uh, we need to get some basic cardio going on and you need to use as many upper body machines in the gym as you can to just keep your muscle mass there. It's going to be good for your heart. It's going to be good for your hormones, blah, 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 blah. He came into the gym because he was entitled to a free session at the commercial gym where I worked. And the person wanted to pair him with me. We did. And he said, yeah, I I would like you to teach me how to use all the upper body machines because, um, you know, the doctor said, I'm probably not gonna be able to walk. You could see that my legs are pretty, pretty lanky here. And uh, I just want to keep as much muscle on my upper body as I can. And I said, can I ask you a crazy question? And he said, sure. So I asked him, if you were able to run again, would that be something you would want to pursue? And he said, of course, but I just had nine different people with white coats and letters after their name tell me that I won't be able to do that. And I said, that that's not what I'm concerned with. I'm just asking if that's something you would be interested in if it were possible. He said, of course it would be. I said, okay, well, if we are going to work together, we're not going to do any of the shit that you were describing and we're going to do things very differently. I'm about 40% confident that I can get you off of crutches long-term based on knowing you for 20 minutes. Is that a journey that's worth pursuing for you? He was a client three minutes later. The fact that I was upfront with him about how confident I was was important to him. It was trustworthy. The fact that I demonstrated to him what I was interested in, which was him running, not doing peck flies on a machine, was inspiring to him. The fact that I was dedicated to him more than anyone that he had worked with at that time, 
was reassuring to him. Fast forward, he sprints now. He crossfits three days a week. He like California rolls on the floor. He hasn't used a cane or crutches in three years. So the idea that you can simply ask someone, is this interesting to you? Is this future interesting to you? I'm not asking you how realistic you think it is. I'm just asking you if you like the idea. If they say yes, then it's up to you to decide, is, is there what in me believes I can help them do that? Is there anything? If there isn't, you shouldn't be casting a vision like that. If there's something that you think you or someone else could do, then it's your job, whether you could do it or someone else can do it, to put them in front of that person. This is always a really tough one for me because I have a hard time working through this disparity between not wanting to onboard goals to clients that I have for them or that other people have been able to accomplish that I believe would truly transform their life, right? I want people to genuinely come up with these things themselves. Mm. But at the same time, knowing how blind the average person is to the capacity that they could have if they actually put the work in and how it would immensely benefit their life puts me in a position where, and this is part of, we spoke earlier about the difference of a commercial gym versus a gym like my own or like active life, where part of what my hope, like genuine belief is in, in our, my facility is that I want to expose people to the possibilities that are out there. I not, don't necessarily want to give them the goals on a silver platter and say, this is what you should do. But I, I really want to show them that like, there are 70 year olds that run marathons all the time. Yeah. I loved that right? you had the post around, um, Oh, you're just, you're, you're, you're telling me that age isn't real because I'm 34 and I'm sitting here in a field with my dog. Go look up the centenarian Olympics. I, <laughs> right. I loved that. I loved that you posted that man. Like there are too many old people who are crushing it for that story to be bite worthy. Right. Well, and, and at the very least, it just puts the agency in your hands, which is what you want, right? You, you want the clients to realize that they are not a product of their circumstances. They're a product of their choices and that's okay. Like we're, yeah, well, we're, you, you nailed it with the quote in that post, if I'm remembering, remembering it correctly, which is like, oh, well, I'm, my knees are bad because I'm old versus like, well, no, my knees are bad because I made poor choices for 20 years. Like people don't want to say that because it hurts and it's embarrassing. Like, I was at one out of a hundred are ready to admit that like that. Right. And then the, on the tail of it is, and that means I can't, like, I'm too old to do anything. I'm damaged goods. And that, that's just not the case. I think people very much underappreciate how much, like how little change they can make to their body composition in a short amount of time, but how they underappreciate how much the difference they can make to their just capacity and movement quality and pain-free movement in a very short amount of time. I mean, within 90 days, if, if someone is adherent and sticking to the plan, they can see miraculous changes in their ability to walk without pain, their ability to run without pain. Like it is unbelievable. Yeah. You won't recognize yourself if you really do the thing. For sure. And I, but again, this comes back to measuring the right thing. Yes. Right. If, if we're focused around only focused on body composition, increase in lean muscle mass. And it's not that those things won't change nor that they're not an, important. It's just that for somebody that's coming to you that is scared of walking down steps. So they hold, they lean heavily onto a railing to be able to go from that to being able to skip down the steps without even having to think about it is such mm -hmm. a tremendous difference in their life. Well, you described, you described how do you get people to stop mental, mental masturbation? I, I think right there with it is how do you get people to stop mental flagellation? Right? I am, I'm broken and I never can, and I'm useless. It's, I see those as operating at the same level. One's a little bit more positively focused. One's negatively focused, but you're spinning your wheels either way. Well, and to your point, the part of the problem is that we have people in white coats telling people that, mm -hmm. you know, I think that is one of my biggest frustrations in working with other medical professionals is when people put a governor on somebody and this irregardless of, of age. I like right? that expression. I've never heard that before. What, like, a, a, oh, just a governor. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's that's how I perceive it because people will come to me and they're like, I'm told I was told I can't squat anymore. And I'm like, well, mm -hmm. why? Right. And then you start doing you start digging and you're like, they haven't even done imaging on you. 
You know what I mean? Like, like we're no, we're, we're nowhere near diagnosing you to a point where we can definitively say, which by the way, imaging doesn't even give us that sort of, of credence to begin with, mm-hmm. but, but saying with 100% certainty, if you squat, bad things will happen. And, and I think putting, planting that seed in someone's mind is such a disservice to the, the, the miraculous things that others have done that are in worse off positions than them. I'm in agreement. And I, and I, Wherever it's due, I want to let, I want to let those people off the hook only because even those people in the lab coats haven't been educated that there's a better way to do it. And so what they're trying to do is first and foremost, they need to protect themselves by not knowing what, but because they don't know what they don't know. And they want to not make sure that they're going to be liable for telling someone that they shouldn't expect. And they want to make sure that the person isn't doing anything that's too dangerous for them. And that professional doesn't know what the effective parameters are. And to your point, what the reasonable metrics would be for improvement. So the reason, the reason the coaching industry needs to be developed and, uh, credible in the same way that the medical industry is, is so that a coach, a personal trainer, a physical therapist, and a doctor all have a seat at the table are making the same amount of money for doing jobs that they're all supposed to be doing and trust each other to do effectively. Yeah, no, amen. I mean, and, and I think it's because that the many of the doctors and medical professionals are working within the confines of their education, but more importantly, their own personal experiences. Yes. And for anybody that has spent time in a hospital, my wife gave gave birth a few months ago, and then mm-hmm. also in primary care, uh, you know, offices, I just went two two or three weeks ago, you know, that that is not a breeding ground for fit people. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like they are just as much an example of the problems in this country as the general public. Sure. Are. Well, also, I think we're one of two countries in the world. I believe the other one is Brazil, um, where it is legal for pharmaceutical companies to advertise and say, ask your doctor about this. Do you have this problem? Ask your doctor about this pill. We're one of two countries in the world where that's legal. Yeah, it's it's absolutely wild. I mean, I, I could go on for days with my frustrations around the healthcare sure. system, but no. But, but to your point and and what we're discussing right now, if if you have someone who look, there are times if I'm having a medical emergency, I'm not calling a personal trainer. If I have a medical emergency, I'm 100% calling a doctor. Right. And I want their doc. I want the doctor to do a great job. After the doctor's done his job, I'm expecting. And this is where I think you were describing like people don't know what to expect because it's become normal for them to expect shitty part of my language. If I expect that after the doctor's done his job, that my body is seeking perfect health and it's waiting for the environment to do it. So after the medical doctor has patched up the hole, fixed the broken thing, tied together the loose ends, that I now am in the environment where I need to seek, well, where's what's the guidance to create a more perfect environment for my body to just chase the perfection that it's doing anyway since the time I was two cells old? Yeah, I mean, and this is why I have gone out of my way to try to establish healthy relationships with every physical therapist in my area mm-hmm. because of the fact that I, I know that if I can create a trusting relationship with them and a referral system that mm-hmm. – those individuals that come into them because they've been dealing with knee pain for the last 10 years and it's finally gotten to a point where it's severely affecting their quality of life can go through their physical therapy type exercises. And then once their insurance stops paying and the physical therapist believes that they've checked enough boxes to get them to be able to, to you know walk and do some basic daily functions without any sort of severe pain, they can then say, hey, let's not just go back to your old baseline. Let's exceed it. Right. Let's create a plan that can can actually start to improve your quality of life, not just maintain as long as possible. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. What are some of the favorite types of clients for you to work with? Um, I know niching down is is something that can be um, a tough conversation for somebody that enjoys, you know, that has such an insatiable level of curiosity. Do you have a type of client that you particularly like to work with? The, the clients that I work with, I'll, I'll be, I am completely selfish with the people that I take on. Three days ago, a former client referred a friend to me and the friend said, hi, I'm going to be in New York for eight weeks and I heard you're the best around and I'm looking for someone to guide me through um, some workouts for the eight weeks that I'm going to be here. It didn't take more information. That's not true. 
I asked if there was anything in particular he was struggling with. And he said, nope, just trying to maintain the fitness that I've been working on with my coach at home. No other outstanding problems that you're trying to solve. Nope, just trying to not fall off for eight weeks. It didn't take more information to say, I know the perfect guy for you. Utterly uninterested in helping that guy. His problem is absolutely worth solving for him. Utterly uninterested in doing that for him. So I'm completely selfish about the people that I take on. And the people that I take on look very different. What is consistent about them is that I'm inspired to help them with whatever they're dealing with. So it could be doctors told me I'm going to be paralyzed. I want to sprint. It can also be I am an absolute nervous wreck and I just want to feel like I have some sense of control in my body. It could be uh, I need to lose 25 pounds so I can feel confident enough to join a dating website because my biological clock is ticking and having a baby is the most important thing in the world to me and I'm too afraid to make a profile picture because I don't like the way that I look. If the story is inspiring to me, I'm in. What needs to be true about all of them is that they're focused, they're committed, and they're compliant with the program. If you do what I tell you to do, that we've mutually agreed is a good idea for you. Like you said, are we measuring the right thing together? Once all that's been established, if you are someone that I can trust to do what I tell you to do, and argue with me and tell me whether or not it's right or wrong so that we can determine whether or not there's a better way to do it, I'm in. I'm going to do more for you than anyone you've ever met if it starts with me being interested in the person. So do you think that for you in large part, it's it's not the actual story itself. It's it's where the person is on their journey. So for instance, they, they're the client is at a point where they've had a, enough time to tango with the problems that they're facing to genuinely appreciate the path forward. That's, that's a really, really good description. And I appreciate that you teased out that from what I was describing. That's much more close to what I'm most interested in. Yes, it's not the story itself. It's, it's where they're at in it and what they've had to do to get where they are and what would be required for them to move forward for sure. Yeah, because I mean, a great example of this is I've had clients before that have come to me. So we've been open for almost 12 years now. And I've, we've met Congratulations, people. Congratulations, by the way, man. Oh, thank you. It's a really big deal. <laughs> No, I appreciate that. So we, we've we've had people come to us five years prior, right? And the things that they were saying and the things they wanted to accomplish were very much surface level. They were very scatterbrained in terms of their goals and and what what it is they wanted to be able to to do in a short you know short order, and their thoughts around the types of training it would take in order to accomplish those things were very misguided. Mm -hmm. And at the time, they just weren't a good fit, and. These people then had coming, came back to us years later and their story was less about, I want to look a certain way for a wedding or I want to lose weight because, you know, I want to whatever, look better on the beach. Not that those are bad things by any means, but it started to become more, Hey, I have kids now and I can't get on the floor and get back up. Like, this is a problem. Like I want to be able to play with my kids with, without pain. Right. Or not be able to take them outside and do things because I'm afraid of that. If they run off, I can't catch them. Hmm. And it's like, okay, you're, you're at a place now where you are, you're coming at this from an angle where you're going to genuinely appreciate the progress that, that we make for you. Yep. Yeah. And you, you teasing out the part about them being at a point in their lives where the thing is so critical and so important that their energy around that path is higher is spot on. Yep. And it, it, it's, it makes the experience from the, the, the coaching perspective that much more special. That's um, the kind of thing that you talk about with your family at Thanksgiving dinner, man. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing that I talk amongst my coaches with, right? Like when they come to me and they're like, you know, you wouldn't believe what Mary did today. And, and then they're just like, you know, over the, over the top excited to tell the story about where she was and now where she is and how it's going to affect her life. It's like, that, that's the coolest part, man. And think about how much energy that cre that adds to your entire business. When everyone is talking about a story that you shared that both coaches and other members can get excited by. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an amazing part of the community, both amongst the, the coaches and the members. It's mm -hmm. great. Well, hey, Larry, this was uh, this was fun, man. Um, mm -hmm. This this came on the, the the 
the back of me traveling across the country for or so. So it was nice to kind of get back into the booth and and uh, to jam on a podcast. I hope I helped you shake the rest off, man. <laughs> you really did. So probably the first time I've ever gotten into the middle of a podcast and been like, uh, I, I need to think about that for a second. Nice. But uh, this was fun, man. I, I, I knew this was going to be an amazing conversation um, based on our, our previous conversation that we had. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited about everything that you're doing and everything that's uh, going on over at Active Life. Thanks, man. I feel like there's a lot we could talk about, and I'm looking forward to doing more of it, man. We will absolutely do that. Hey, um, tell the guests a little bit more about where they can learn more about you. Instagram, Larry underscore the human. Active Life Professional and Active Life Rx, all on Instagram. I love it. Check them out, guys. See you out there. If you feel like the gym is one big, confusing, and intimidating playground, a personalized coach from Hardbat Athletics can work with you remotely to help match your goals to an actionable plan. You'll get workout videos and descriptions and have access to coaching calls to make adjustments when you need them. Let us take the guesswork out of your fitness and nutrition. Visit www.hardbatathletics.com to chat with a coach today.